We've been preaching verse by verse through the different books in the Bible, and we're at the 13th chapter of Matthew because it's important that we preach through the Bible, not just, you know, picking and choosing different favorite verses because we really don't get the spiritual diet that we need. Now, I preached on these parables about two years ago, and some of you were here for that teaching. I preached on the parable of the sower in the book of Mark about a year ago. Some of you were here for that. We are looking at the parable of the sower today in Matthew chapter 13. And I trust that you not only will hear some things that you have already heard, but that you could hear some new refreshing things that God's Word can only grant us. I mean, no, God's Word is really the only refreshing thing you'll ever find on this planet. Refreshing water, refreshing joy, just refreshing in, in eternal life, and what a great joy it is to serve the Lord. So let's stand for the reading of God's Word, Matthew chapter 13. I'm going to read down to verse 23, and then we'll get started. And um, this is a beautiful part of the Scriptures. So it's the same day went Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside, that's the Sea of Galilee, and great multitudes were gathered together unto him so that he went into a ship and sat down, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. And when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls of the air devoured them up. Some fell upon stony places, where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up, because they had no deepness of the earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among the thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them." But other fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some a hundred, some sixtyfold, and some thirtyfold. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. And the disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? And he answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. For whosoever hath to him shall be given, and he that uh, shall have more abundance, he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken away even that which he hath. Therefore speak I to them in parables, because they seen, see not, hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which saith, By hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see, and shall not perceive. For this people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should, with their eyes and with their ears, that they shall hear, or they shall hear with their ears." And should understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for you see, and your ears, for they hear. For verily I say unto you that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which you see, and have not seen them, and to hear those things which ye hear, and have not heard them. Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which is sown in his heart. This is he which receives seed by the wayside. But he that received the seed into stony places, the same is he that heareth the word, and anon, that anon means quickly, with excitement, fast, with joy, received it. Yet hath he no root in himself, but endure it for a while, and when tribulation, persecution arises because of the word, by and by he is offended. He also that receives seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word, 
and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becometh unfruitful. But he that receives seed into good ground is he that heareth the word, understandeth it, which also beareth fruit, and bringeth forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. When to use for a subject this morning, why parables? You may be seated. Why parables? There are seven parables in this chapter 13. If you want to count the scribe who brings out the old and the new, there would be eight, parable, uh, eight parables. I'm going to say there's seven because Jesus was pretty much had a lot of affection for the number seven. But you could find the eighth parable where it talks about the scribe bringing out of his treasure the old and the new there in this passage of Scripture where he concludes the, the, the um, parables. And he says there in 52 that he brings out of the treasure good, new and good and old things. I trust that I'm a treasure box. I try to be. When I find something good in the Word, I store it up inside my heart. And then I don't just keep it and hide it. I love to share it. In fact, I'll run you down and share it if you give me a chance. I don't run as good as I used to. But I love the stories of the Bible. What is a parable? I, I want to give you the eight parables, or the seven rather, and then the eighth maybe verse 52. But I want to give them to you, uh, kind of set uh, uh, an outline. There is the parable of the sower that we read in the first part of this chapter 13. And then there's the parable of the tares in verse 24 through 30 and verse 36 through 43. There's the parable of the mustard seed. There's the parable of the leaven that leavens the whole lump in the bread. There is the treasure in the field. There's the parable of the pearl of great price. There's the dragnet in verse 47 through 50. And then there is the scribe, if you count eight, in verse 52. This chapter 13 is filled with incredible stories, and that's what a parable is. A parable is a story. A parable is a story alongside of a great truth, and the story brings out that great truth for those who love stories. I love stories. You can take the parables, and you could write books on every parable. You could write a whole book on every parable that Jesus ever gave. Or you could make a movie out of every parable that Jesus ever gave. Because his stories are full of great truth and full of great imagination in one spirit as you begin to look at it. Jesus has a way to open up a whole new world for us. And right now, I'd like to see a new world. How about you? The parables are amazing. They're beautiful stories. And they're full of great truths and great blessing. I do like to tell stories. December the 3rd, we're going to have a big potluck here at the church to celebrate Thanksgiving and Christmas. But December the 3rd, it is my birthday. And I will be 70 years old. I'm not as spry as I used to be. I told my children I want to do something special for my 70th birthday. So I decided, you know, I used to go down to the city park at the mill pond, and I used to climb to the top of the bridge, not the road where the bridge is, to the very top of the bridge. And I would dive off into the waters in the mill pond. I got to thinking it'd be nice if I could go down to City Hall and get a permit that would allow me to go to the top of the bridge, not the road, the very top, on my birthday. 
and dive into the waters in the mill pond. My kids thought that was a bad idea. I'm thinking probably I would need to be air vac to the top of the bridge, and once I jumped, air vac to Cox South. <laughs> now you can tell the story that I just told you is ridiculous. Or is it? Would I try it? In the words of my wife, nah. Hello. That's a family statement right there. Josh knows what I'm talking about. The stories of Jesus are true. They're fascinating. They're intriguing. And Jesus would tell a parable and then, in fact, he interpreted the parable of the sower and the tares and the, and, and the wheat. He interpreted those two. Actually, it's one if you want to consider the parable of the sower. He interpreted it. But then after, and by the way, Jesus did not interpret the tear and the wheat until the disciples said, would you tell us what that means? And I can just see the disciples sitting around going, yes, amen, amen. And Jesus is telling stories. They're going, amen, that's right. Amen, Jesus, tell it like it is. <laughs> Woo, that's good preaching, Jesus. And then they catch him alone and said, would you tell me what you just said? <laughs> and so we look at this and we stop and think about the parables. And I want to begin by simply saying the parable of the sower is a beautiful parable that is a great truth and a great story. But the first thing I want to point out is in the beginning of chapter 13, Jesus is leaving a house. Now, more than likely, this house is the house of Simon Peter. May not be, but I'm pretty sure it is as you coordinate it with the other synoptic gospels. Because Jesus had been in the temple... He'd cast out demons. He had done great miracles. The, the, the scribes and the Pharisees were trying to kill him, and he went away. His family comes to him, his friends, and says, I think you've lost it. You need to go with us. His other brother says, why don't you go back into Judea and tell them all about, you know, flex your muscles, do miracles. And I mean, no family it doesn't always have the good advice. Hello. And so G Jesus wasn't getting good advice. But in the 12th chapter, Jesus is pretty much rejected by the scribes and the Pharisees. He's pretty much told that inside of you is a devil. They came to the place of blaspheme in the Holy Ghost. They said that Jesus did these miracles by Beelzebub, the prince of the fly, the god of the fly. And so they decided that they would kill Jesus, not for what good he was doing, although he did good on the Sabbath. They wanted to kill him because they didn't believe him and they were afraid that they would lose their power. Amen. And they didn't want Jesus to come along and take away their power. Now, Jesus goes to the house. And at that house of Peter, that's where they're trying to get Jesus to come out. And they're going to counsel him. And Jesus finally tells them, who is my mother? Who is my brother? Who is my sister? And he looked out at the crowd and he said, you are. He wasn't making light of his family. He was just saying, there's a greater family called the family of God. There's a greater father called Father God. There's a greater life than this life. And so Jesus leaves the house. And there's a great spiritual significance in verse 1. The same day Jesus went out of the house and sat down by the sea. Now, we got to understand when he left the house... I realize he left Simon Peter's house more than likely, but when it said he left the house, there's a great spiritual application here. He left the house of Israel. He left the house of Israel. He left the house of Israel. Y'all, you listen to me. 
And he went to the seaside to the Gentiles. To the common man. The Jews and the Gentiles. They reject, the scribes rejected him, but Jesus left the house. I don't really give a flip whether Elvis left the building or not, but Jesus left the building. Amen. And around him was gathered, verse 2, a multitude. These were Jew and Gentile combined. So that he went into a ship and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. Now, you understand that this is not just Gentiles. This is also common men, people of common stature. And Jesus is bypassing. He's blow by. He, he, I mean, he's just blowing past the scribes and Pharisees because he's left the house of Israel. Now he's come to bring news to us. Isn't that good? And so uh, as he's speaking to the people, he's sitting in the ship and he's looking at the masses of people on the seashore. He's in the water on the ship. He's using the water as an amplification to send his word out into the massive crowd. And he tells a parable and he speaks unto them in parables saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. Verse 3. Behold, a sower. Verse 3. But before we get into the story of the seed by the wayside, the seed on stony ground, the seed on thorny ground, the seed on good ground, before I start meddling with your life, I want to talk to you about why parables? Why parables? And the way to figure out why parables is found in verse 10 down to verse 17. The disciples come to him and says, why speakest thou in parables? And Jesus answered them and said, because it is given unto you, the common man, you, the man that's not stuck up, you, the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. If you're close to God, you're not going to get anything from God. And the scribes and Pharisees were close to God in their mind and in their heart. Verse 12, for whosoever hath to him shall be given, and he that shall have more abundance, but he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not from him shall be taken away even that which he has. He's saying, I'm going to take what you think you've got. And there's a whole lot of people out there that thinks they've got it, but they ain't got it. And on judgment day, he's going to take away what you think you got. There are masses of people that think they've got it. They think they've, they've got it down pat. And Jesus said, no, I'm going to take what you got or what you think you got, and I'm going to give it to others. You're going to be left out. All the time in his mind, he's thinking, scribes and Pharisees, right? Because they think they had it, but they didn't have it. And how many, how many know that Jesus did take it away from them? And the destruction of the temple, when the veil of the temple was rent, when Jesus died on the cross, he took away their lamb, he took away their sacrifice, he took away their temple, what, 37 years later, he took away their temple. And Titus, the Roman who came in and destroyed the temple and laid waste the city of Jerusalem and scattered the Jews, he took away their so-called ministry. They thought they had it, and Jesus took it away because they didn't have it. Well, I've got something that Jesus won't take away. I've got eternal life. And if eternal life can be taken away, then it's not eternal life. Everlasting life. Eternal life simply means that. If there's anything that can make it go away, if there's anything that can take it away, if there's anything that can stop everlasting life, then you don't have it. But Jesus Christ is my everlasting life. And that's very clear in 1 John. 
And so Jesus Christ tells him why he's doing parables. I love this. In Psalm 78, now he's talking to the common man. In Psalm 78, verse 2 and, uh, through 4, it says, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter dark sayings of old, which you have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of our Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he had done. So Jesus Christ is fulfilling this prophecy in Psalm 78, that I will speak to them in parables, and I will bring them to common people. I will bring them to their generation. I will bring the word to a new generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation that will bring forth the praises of God. Mm -mm -mm. I've done preach myself happy. I dance when I'm too stoved up. Now I'm talking about jumping off a bridge. They wouldn't give me a permit. All my kids would go ahead of me and stop it. Verse 13, therefore I speak to them in peril because they seeing, see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. And as it is fulfilled in the prophet Isaiah, which by hearing you shall hear and shall not understand, seeing you shall see and shall not perceive. Why? Because this people's heart is waxed gross. Amen. Now, the word gross means hard, but I like the word gross, too. And their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes are closed. These same words are mentioned in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 9 and 10. The fulfillment of the word, that they would not listen. It's not that God closed their heart. It was that God spoke parables that they would have to have a heart in it to understand it. It wasn't that God shut the door. It was that God opened the door, told a parable. So simplistic, yet so profound that their heart would have to be open in order to receive it. Isn't that beautiful? Parables. They're incredible. I love stories. They're amazing. And you could take every parable that Jesus spoke, and as I said at the start, write a book or make a movie because the truths are so profound. Jesus goes back to the past in verse 16 and 17, and he says, there are those that um, blessed are your eyes. He's speaking to his disciples, for they see your ears, they hear. Verily I say unto you, many prophets, righteous men, good men, desire to see the things which you see and you have not, and, and have not seen them, and to hear those things which ye hear and have not heard them. So he's trying to say it's not that God chooses some to not understand. But he tells the story along the truth so that everyone will have to have a heart to understand. And the good news is God can even give you a good heart. But when your heart waxes gross, that means hard. But when your heart, when your life waxes gross, and I'm not saying hard there, when your life is gross, then it's hard to listen to what God is saying because your heart has kind of got a shield on it. Uh, let me say right real fast that remember I preached a sermon on how Jesus does house invasions. He breaks into the house. Some people's lives can get so messed up that Jesus, uh, he'll just break through the window. I mean, he'll just come in and he'll just take over. And he'll get rid of the bad things in your life and give you a chance to live for him. So if, if your life's a mess, good news. Jesus can clean up any mess in your life. Amen. 
And so why parables? Let's look at this parable for a little bit. And I'll not keep you long. But let's look at these parables for a minute and, and understand what he's saying. He said, a sower went forth to sow. And he said, when he sowed, some seeds fell along the wayside. The fowls of the air came. And we're told that um, the fowls of the air is the wicked one. The birds, these are vile, wicked birds. In fact, verse 19 says, When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which has received seed by the wayside. So he says, some seed falls by the wayside. And the reason it's called wayside is because they would make crops. They would make, you know, they'd till the ground, they'd get the ground ready to sow, and then when they'd go sow, they would just, they'd just throw it out there by hand. They'd just throw it out there. And some of the seeds would fall on the wayside of where the, the ground had been prepared. And actually the ground, because there was crops and everybody walked just about everywhere they went then, not everybody could have a horse or a mule, but most of them walked. And when they walked, they didn't walk through the garden. They didn't walk through the crop. Especially when it was tender, they walked on the outside, the wayside. And because of walking so much, they created a dirt sidewalk. Basically what it was, a hard dirt sidewalk. And if you know anything about sidewalks, they're busy places. Amen? And Jesus Christ talks about the seed falling on the wayside, a dirt sidewalk, a place where people are busy. They're so busy. Their life is so hardened. They're having such a hard time in life. They're so busy. And the seed falls by the wayside, and the good things of life are taken because of the wicked devil, the fowls of the air would come and take away the seed of God. The seed of God is an amazing thing. In fact, any seed is an amazing thing. I look at seeds when I'm planting a garden, not so much now, but years ago I'd be planting a garden, and I'd look at the seed and say, Shh, you're all swiveled up, you won't do nothing. And I'd throw two more in with it. The one swiveled up is the one that came up. The big fat pump one was deceiving. It's amazing how a little seed can produce a great big plant. It's amazing in that seed you can look at it and inside that seed could be a corn. Inside that seed could be a zucchini. Inside that seed could be a yellow bell pepper or an orange bell pepper, or a green bell pepper, and the seeds look just alike. Amen. In that seed is power. In that seed is God's engineering power, and in that seed, it may be a small seed that produces something big, or a big seed that produces something little, but seeds have within it the power to procreate, to recreate, to, and, and by the way, seeds die. And when they die, they produce new life. Now, the Word of God doesn't die. The Word of God liveth and abideth forever. But when you get the Word of God down in your heart, there's going to be some things die. When the Word of God gets in your heart, there's going to be some things die. But boy, there's going to be some juicy fruit coming up. Amen. Because the seed works. The seed is powerful. The seed of God. And Jesus Christ said, you go out and sow seed among the, the, stone, the, the hard ground, the wayside. There in verse 4 and then explained in verse 19. The wicked one comes and takes the seed and snatches it away from their heart. That wayside, a place of of um, just a dirt sidewalk. And there are hundreds of people today too busy to read their Bible, 
Too busy to hear the preacher. Too busy to be in church. Too busy to serve God. Too busy with this and busy with that and busy here and busy there. Busy, busy, busy. And because of that, their heart is closed to the truth of God's word. And the fowls come when they do hear something good, when they do hear that they ought to get right with God, when they do hear the goodness of God, uh, they're so busy the, the dirty birds swoop down and rob the blessing from their life. Why? Because their, their life's so busy and their heart has become hard. Hard don't mean mean. Hard means void of God's hearing. And they don't understand. Then Jesus Christ said, some, feed, some seed falls on Stony ground. That's found in verse 5 and again in verse 20 and 21. And some seed falls upon stony places where there had not much earth. And forthwith they sprung up because they had no deepness of the earth. Sun comes up, scorches them because they have no root in themselves. And the Bible says, Verse 20, the seed, they received the seed in stony places. The same hears the word quickly, excitedly receives the word with joy. And yet hath he not no root in himself, but endureth for a while. For when tribulation, persecution arises because of the word, by and by he is offended. I like to call this the rocky life. The rocky life. The seed falls among the rocky life. Something about rocks, where there's a lot of it, the soil's thin. And because it doesn't have depth of soil, it's considered a shallow life. Rocky life. It is those that are so penetrated with sorrow. Those that are so, their life is so rocky and they're, they're in such a mess. They don't know what to do. They don't know where to turn. And every day is a crisis and every moment could fall apart because you're, you're in rocky places. You don't know what to do. And when you do hear of something good, yes, but it just takes a little bit of the sun to come out, the persecution to come out, the hard times to come out. You've lost it again. I'm not saying that your sorrow isn't deep. I'm not saying that your trouble isn't bedrock deep. I'm not saying that your heartache isn't deeper and deep in the quagmire of confusion. What I am saying is your your life is so rocky that you can't grab a hold of what you need and you'll grab it for a moment and lose it because something else comes along. Why don't you just make up your mind? You're going to kick a few rocks aside and you're going to dig down in the depth of God's Word and you're not going to live a life of up and down, up and down. You're going to live a life of victory. But when the seed comes on stony ground, it comes up fast. But it comes up so fast that it doesn't have much depth and much root in it. It's hard to suck nourishment from a rock unless that rock is Christ. And when the sun comes out, you know, it's Monday. You had a great time Sunday. Now it's Monday. You had a great time in church, in revival, but now it's over. Someone persecutes you. Someone comes against you. Someone says, well, if you were a child of God, you'd do better than that. And they find criticism against you. And God says, look, I'm expecting something better out of you. I'm expecting uh, you to live for me. I'm expecting you to love me. And when you get to that place that you're, you're just not secure in the word of God, you're just not there. With, with excitement, you receive it. But then when the persecution comes because of the word say, you are offended. Come on, I'm preaching better than you're responding. And so the sun comes out. 
and you're scorched. The Bible says scorched. That's a suntan you don't want. They wither away. And withering is something you don't want. Amen? The last one. Well, it ain't the last one. The last one is the good seed on good ground. But the third one is the seed sown among stony ground. And it is found in verse 7. And some seed fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. It says again concerning the thorny ground. In verse 22, he explains it. And he says, He also that receives seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word. And the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becometh unfruitful. I call this the too fertile ground, the ground that is too fertile. You're ready to take in anything. You're ready to take any church out. Busy with it. Yeah, yeah, I'll take some church. I'll take some obligation some here. I'll take an obligation here. I'll take this. I'll take that. Your life gets so crowded. Your heart gets so crowded. Why? Because you have enthusiasm. You have fertile ground. Too fertile. Your ground is too fertile. You're willing to take on Everything. You're willing to take on everything that comes your way. And because you're willing to take it on, thorns come up in your life, crowds out the good things of God in your life. It chokes it out. And I call that the crowded life. Crowded. How crowded is it? Well, we need to stop and consider that the Bible says that when the seed falls on tares or the, the thorny ground, it comes up. And you do good for a while, but you're, you know, I worry about people that get too busy in other things and don't focus on the best thing. Now, you've got to make a living. You've got to do things. There's things you've got to do, but you don't have to catch every ball that's thrown to you. You don't have to be so fertile ground that you allow everybody to plant something in your life. Now, I'm preaching better than you're responding. In fact, I'm preaching better than you're looking at me right now. <laughs> and so weeds come up. The Bible calls it thorns, but we're going to call it weeds. And did you know that in this too fertile ground that's crowded life, you receive the word of God, but you're too fertile, you're crowded life, and you allow three things to come into your life, and there are three weeds. Three weeds that comes into people's lives. Notice it says here in verse 7, we read it, seeds sown among thorns, and it comes up, and springs up and it's choked and, and the thorns choke them. And then we find also in verse 22 that he, he also that received the seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becometh unfruitful. I find two weeds in this verse 22. But there's three. Because in the book of Mark chapter 4 and in the book of Luke chapter 8 is the rest of the story. And Mark chapter 4 verse 18 says, and 19, and these are they which are sown among the thorns, such as hear the word, the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the lust of other things, entering in. Everybody say entering in. Choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. Now here is three weeds. Mark tells us about three weeds. Here they are. 
Cares of the world. Actually, care would be worry. The worry weed. Has anybody ever met the worry weed? I met the worry wart, but have you ever met the worry weed? And then there's the covet weed. You want something that you ain't got, you can live without it, but you still just got to have it. Covetousness, covet weed. Notice it says there in, in Mark, the deceitfulness of riches. If I can just have a little bit more. That's the covet weed. You're going to like this one. The third one is called the lust weed. The lust weed. Now, when we look about the, uh, the entering in, the Bible says that the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things. When he's talking about other things, he's talking about things that's not good for you. He's talking about lustful things. And the lust weed is very real. The lust weed will cause all kinds of trouble in a marriage. It'll cause trouble in a church. It'll cause trouble sitting behind a computer screen. Cause trouble in someone's mind. The lust weed. And when worry grips your heart, and where covenants grips your heart and lust takes over your mind, I promise you, you will become unfruitful because it will choke the word of God out of your life. Amen. Now there's predators in a garden. The next one I want to talk about, some seed falls on good ground. By the way, it isn't the bad seed. The seed's good. Now, there is the bad seed called a tear, but the, here Jesus in these, uh, the seed among uh, the wayside, the stony ground, the thorny ground, and, and the good ground, the seed is good. What's not good is the soil and what's mixed in the soil. And so Jesus says, no, we're going to come to one more. It's called the good ground. And it says that some seed fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Now, listen to me. Thirtyfold crop was unheard of in that day. A 30-fold crop was unheard of in that day. It's not unheard of in our day because of technology and because of machinery. But a 30-fold crop was unheard of in that day, especially out of one seed. A 60-fold crop was ridiculous. And a hundredfold crop was, wow, zowie, impossible. But Jesus Christ said, if my seed lands in a good ground in your heart, I can do the impossible. I can give you blessing that's indescribable. I can cause your little seed to excel and become a big barn of grain. I can touch your life. I can accelerate your life from, from 60 to, to 100 fold, 30, 60 to 100 fold. I'll bless your life. And I call this the good fruitful garden. Now, before I wrap up the message today, I've got to let out some steam. Psst. Psst. I hate weeds. I hate weeds. They grow anywhere they want to. 
If you just let one little crack be in your semen of loving God, it'll come up through the crack. I hate weeds. I hate things that damage crop. Amen. I hate, I hate the tater bug. I hate the beetles. Not the singing group. Well, maybe. But anyway, I, 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 you know that beautiful little white butterfly flying around looks so cute. No, it's going to land on your cabbage, lay its eggs, and it's going to eat your cabbage. And everybody knows you don't want your cabbage eat. I made, Judy did the garden the last two years because I got sick of gardening. I went out and made the most beautiful garden. God helped me produce some beautiful stuff, and I had cantaloupes that big around. I probably had 60 or better cantaloupes that big around. I'd walk through my garden alone. Well, the dew was still on the garden. <laughs> I, I would look at the cantaloupes. They're green. I'm watching them. I'm watching them. Oh, I'm going to have cantaloupes. And I went out there the next morning after they turned ripe. I'm going to pick them the next morning. And I walk out there, and there wasn't a cantaloupe left in my garden. The deer had stomped them with their hooves and eat them all. Now, trust me, a country deer, they're pretty out on the hillside. Trust me, a big deer in the woods, awesome. But a city deer, it's a rodent. <laughs> they eat your flowers, they eat your vegetables, they eat everything you're not supposed to eat. The rodents. Josh bought me a picture of a deer that they'd caught. The deer actually was eating a snake. I thought, yeah, that's a rodent. Makes you really want to have deer steak today, doesn't it? <laughs> Hate them deer. Hate them. They look good here. But I hate Ozark deer. We're out in the country. The deer here are nice deer. The deer in town are rodents. They're rats with antlers. <laughs> what I'm trying to say to all of you in this room, if you're going to be a Christian... It's going to take some labor. There's going to be some disappointments. There's going to be things coming your way and try to mess you up. But it's worth the journey. It's worth the struggle. Amen. Now, I wasn't willing to struggle through another garden episode. So I said, Judy, you can have it. She goes out and grows a garden. It's beautiful. I'm thinking, yep, it's going to get hit. I'll get to tell that woman, I told you. You know what my woman did? She got all them garden growed, all looking good, and she went down to Walmart or Lowe's or somewhere. By the way, when I die, I want to be buried at Lowe's because I want Judy to come and see me every day. But anyway... And she went somewhere, she got deer netting, she got fence, she put fence around that garden higher than I could reach. I mean, it looked like Sanford and Son out there. <laughs> and the deer looked on the outside and said, don't go in there, it don't look safe. And they never touched her garden. I was feeling pretty sad because I could have done the same thing. Well, actually, I wouldn't, but anyway. 
And then they got into her flowers, the deer did. I said, Judy, they've eat your flowers. She, she, she just didn't know what to say. She said, nah. Yeah, they eat your flowers. And so Judy started putting nets over the flowers. I got to where I couldn't mow for the nets. <laughs> I'd be trying to mow and the net would creep out there under the wheel. <laughs> But Judy has flowers. She has a garden. Maybe you need to put up a devil net to keep the devil out. Maybe you need to do some things in your life. It may not look attractive to the world, but it'll sure look attractive to Jesus Christ. And it'll change your life. And it'll bless your life. You don't need the honky tonks. You don't need the lust. You don't need the, the pornography. You don't need the, the hell raising. You don't need the wickedness in life. You don't need the worry. You don't need the covetousness. You don't need the stress in your life. You don't need the busy, busy, busy. You just let it go. Settle down at the feet of Jesus Christ and let Jesus Christ build in you a beautiful garden. I got it out of my system. Didn't hear nothing, did you? Sometimes those city rodents are not just deer. Sometimes they're family members. So why would you say that the previous chapter? Now, for the most part, my family is totally supportive of me. For the most part. The ones that's not, doesn't matter. You are my family. I love my family, care for my family. But you're my family. You're my big family. You're my people. You talk my language. You know how to say, amen, hallelujah, preach it, brother, glory to God. I don't hear that out in the world much. But you know, there's rodents that will try to come into your life. With the rodents of city deer, which are just city rodents deer, they have their brush that they hide in in the daytime. They come out at night. Sometimes they get brave enough to come out in the daytime. You allow brush to build up around your life, you allow trash to be thrown out your back door. You allow things in your life to begin to heap up trash in your life. Then long you hear the rustling of a rat in the papers. Because a trashy life attracts rats. So what I'm saying is clean up. Clean up in Jesus. Get the weeds. Take care of the weeds. Live for God. Serve God. Do what's necessary so that you can have 30, 60, 100 fold of fruitfulness for God. And Jesus Christ said the problem is not the seed. The problem is the heart, the soil of the heart. The problem is never the seed. The, the seed is the word of God. The sower is Jesus Christ. The men of God, women of God, sowing the word of God. The word of God liveth and abideth forever. The problem is not in the word of God. The problem is the soil where you built your life. The heart where you are. That is the problem. And Jesus Christ is trying to say, spring in my word. Take in my word. Clean up your life. Turn to God. Let God move in your life. Let God take over. Amen. I just love preaching verse by verse to the Bible. At first I wonder... But then I, as I get a little closer, I hope I brought out some new and old tonight, today. 
Hope I brought out some new and old. We all understand if you've been in church very long what the seed on wayside is, what the seed on the stony ground is, what the seed on thorns is, what the seed on... You know that. But I was trying to share with you why parables. Why parables? Why stories? Because the church can't be ignited with glory and the praises of God until they hear the stories of Jesus Christ. You need to hear stories of how he came and bled and died on the cross of Calvary. Tell me the story of Calvary. Amen? We need to, I think it's a blessed assurance Jesus is mine, oh, what a foretaste of glory divine, heir of salvation, purchased of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. This is my story. We need stories. We need true stories. We need the stories of God. Amen? I'm told that men like stories more than women do. Women like the technology, the, you know, the, they, ladies want to go all the way around the 40 acres. And end up at the same spot. Men want to cut across the 40 acres and tell stories about bull chasing. And share a bunch of bull. Amen. There I go again. Judy would say right now, this is a good time to pull over and park. Well, I've been known to pull over and park and just honk. Stand with me. We're going to give an invitation. Are you ready? Is your life planted? It's the Word of God planted on good ground? Did you let this message come into your heart and rest in good ground? Do you understand the parable? People can't be closed to God. You've got to open your heart and say, this is what I need. Because the seed of God may not look attractive. But God bless your heart, life is in that seed. The seed may not look attractive. The seed may look like it could do nothing. But there's more power in that seed than anyone in this room. And it can do more than anyone in this room. For in the seed is life. The whole program in that seed for what it's going to be. And the whole program for God for your life is in his seed. Isn't that good? We're going we're to give an invitation. My question to you today would be this. Has this seed landed on good ground do you have shallow dirt do you have too fertile you've taken on too much taken on too many worries do you have rocky soil you've been through everything and your hurt is real your pain is real but you can't just live a life that's flighty and Flipping, you've got to stop and say, Jesus Christ is my Lord and my God. And then you've got to guard what you have. You've got to guard what you have. You've got to hate weeds. You've got to hate worry. You've got to hate covetousness. You've got to hate lust. You've got to hate predators. And when you do that, Wow, God can do so much in your life. He can take one seed in your life and make it produce 30-fold. One seed. He can take one seed in your life and make it produce 60-fold. He can take one seed in your life and make it produce 100-fold. Just think what He can do in your life if you just take in a whole bag of seeds. You just take in a whole bag whole 
blessing, a whole truckload, a whole barn of seed. Look what God can do in your life. Josh, go ahead.